Darren. So thanks to everybody for turning up. Uh, and thanks to Darren and Philip for the invitation uh, to talk here. So I suppose the, uh, the motivation to work in this area came because uh, I've been doing some work on inequality of opportunity in health uh, with respect to birth weight over the summer. And I thought it might be nice to see if we could apply the same sort of techniques to looking at inequality of education. And at the same time, I was aware of some of the work that Kevin, Kevin Denny, had done uh, looking at uh, access to third-level education and the socioeconomic gradient of access to third-level education and the extent to which this was changed or not changed by the introduction of free fees. So all of these things were going on in the back of my head and I thought, well, the original idea was to, to uh, apply this particular methodology to looking at leaving certain points. Um, but then I thought, well, no, wait a minute. What I'll do first of all is I'll apply it to, to, to the data that we have in GUI to look at the issue at an earlier stage uh, in the life cycle, okay? Um, so yeah, I gave the commitment to give the talk, and then as usual, just forgot about the commitment, and then I had lots of teaching, and I came back to look at the paper last week. So this is really work in progress. Now, I have, I have numbers to present. I have, uh, I have results, if you want to call them that, preliminary results, so I think there's enough to talk about. Um, but it would be useful to me if I got kind of suggestions or ideas about where the paper could, could move on from here, because I, I don't think it's really complete yet, but I think there's enough anyway to to talk about. One thing that, that struck me as I was, as I was going through the material uh, late last week is that in some senses the, the title is perhaps a little bit misleading. Uh, it says inequality of opportunity in education in Ireland. So you might be thinking, well, you know, it's looking at uh, maybe number of years of schooling or access to various levels of education or maybe I'm looking at the grades that you get in your leaving cert or whatever. I'm not looking at those things. What I'm actually looking at is the results from the, the, the nine-year-old cohort of the Growing Up in Ireland. And the educational results they have there are the, the scores which people get from the, the so-called Drumcondra tests. Now, I'll explain later on what those scores are and how they're derived. But the scores as they are available in, or the, the, the version of the scores that it is recommended to use in Growing Up in Ireland, uh, are the scores which are transformed to produce a latent measure of ability. Okay, now, and I will talk about that a little bit later on. So in a sense, I'm not really looking at inequality of opportunity in, in educational achievement. I'm looking at it in terms of the score that you got in this, the transformed score that you got in this, in this particular test. Um, but I think there is lots of research, certainly outside of Ireland. I'm not sure if anybody knows research within Ireland, mapping from, from Condra scores to future educational achievement. I'd be useful for me to, to be able to put in. But there is lots of res research from, from the US and elsewhere that the scores which people can get at this nine-year-old period is a good predictor of what future educational outcomes and other outcomes would be. Okay. Oh, so fair enough. Okay. So this is an introductory slide, which um, in some ways I, I nearly probably don't have to give it to, to an audience like this, just trying to convince you about the importance of education. So we know that education and the returns to, to various levels of education are important for earnings, they're important for health, they're important for lots and lots of different dimensions. Um, you could also make a convincing argument that there might be positive externalities to, I've called it higher education, I really meant it would probably be second level as well. So I think it's reasonable to suggest that a goal of, of public policy would be to ensure that everybody has the opportunity to acquire education. And the corollary of that goal is that there shouldn't be any arbitrary impediment uh, to people acquiring education. People shouldn't be prevented from acquiring education by some sort of arbitrary circumstance over which they could not be considered as having had any control. Okay? So what I'm trying to do in this paper is to get some idea of the extent to which uh, this inequality of opportunity arising from arbitrary circumstances. I'm trying to get some sort of measure out. About three slides. All right, okay. The answer is yes and no, okay? Depending upon the, 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 the there, there is still controversy over, over the extent to which uh, that particular factor could be included as a circumstance, okay? So just to give you a, a summary, okay, uh, the paper really draws on two strands of literature. Um, I suppose the main area it looks on is this 
literature that's arisen in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, uh, which looks at inequality of opportunity as opposed to inequality of outcome. And I'll explain what, what we mean by that in a couple of slides. Because of the circumstances that I'm looking at, I'm also going to be making reference to the intergenerational transmission of education. Um, so the presence of Paul here, of course, is one of the gurus in this area, is both helpful and intimidating. But um, <laughs> intergenerational transmission of education really is, is, a, is a byproduct of what I'm looking at today. And in fact, some of the results I'm going to put up could, could be interpreted as a rather crude, crude way of measuring intergenerational transmission of education. But it's not the primary focus, but those people who are into that area, I think, will, will find some items of interest in the presentation. The results that I come up with suggest that about 10 to 15 percent of inequality in maths and reading outcomes are accounted for by inequality of opportunity, in other words, circumstances. Now, I'll talk a little bit more detail on the circumstance in a couple of minutes, but just to give you, if you like, a preliminary definition of what I mean by circumstances, what I mean is a factor which is outside the control of the individual, which could reasonably be regarded as being outside the control of the individual, but could also be reasonably regarded as affecting the opportunity set of the individual in this particular outcome, which is uh, educational attainment. The figures that I get uh, are reasonably robust to the, the, the two or three different specifications that I that I used to obtain them, um, but the likelihood is that they're a lower bound. Um, once again, I'll, I'll explain why I think they're a lower bound in a couple of minutes. So, just to give you an outline of where we're going, I'm going to first of all talk about inequality of outcomes and inequality of opportunity. And with inequality of outcomes, really, we're looking at three factors which might affect an outcome. There's circumstance, there's effort, and then there's luck. And then I'm going to talk about how we measure inequality of opportunity and their parametric and non-parametric approaches. I'll talk a little bit about the data uh, because, as I said in the, the introduction, the particular measure we're looking at um, is not a measure, it's not a conventional measure like earnings or your height or something like that. It's a little bit trickier to get your head around. So I'll, if I have time, I'll spend a little bit of time explaining what it is, talk about results and a little bit about sensitivity if I have the time. Okay, inequality of opportunity. So my guess is that many of you here are familiar with this idea of trying to measure the inequality of outcome for a variable like earnings or income or expenditure. And that we've got these summary coefficients that we use, these summary indices, uh, like the Gini coefficient, the coefficient of variation, etc. Okay. Now pretty much all of these measures are essentially uh, an aggregation of gaps. Okay, so think about the genie, it's the, it's the sum of all the pairwise gaps between people, which is then normalized, and the coefficient of variation refers to the gap between uh, the outcome and the mean, the, the mean outcome, et cetera, et cetera. So they all essentially work on the, the idea of gaps. Think about the gap between yourself and another person. Let's say, for the moment, let's think about it in terms of an outcome like, like income. Okay? So gap between two people in income could arise for a number of reasons. First of all, it could be that there's a gap because the other person worked harder than you, okay? So they put in more effort, okay? So one factor lying behind a gap could be differential level, levels of effort with the idea being that those people who put in more effort will get, will get higher or better outcomes. Might also be a gap arising from circumstances. In other words, it could just be that you were born into a background or a family where you had a larger opportunity set and therefore it was possible for you to... Uh, it was easier for you, if you like, to acquire uh, higher levels of this outcome. And then, then there may also be uh, random effects, just pure luck, which can affect, which can affect outcomes as well. Okay. Chris. <laughs> in one word, no, I'll explain the effort thing in, in, in a minute. Um, just to go back really to the point that, that, that Paul had asked about uh, what might we include in circumstances and what might, might we not include. Um, let me answer that first of all by coming at, at the idea of luck. So the literature tends to distinguish between different types of luck. So one luck is what they call the social lottery. So this is the, the Rawlsian idea that we, we don't really know whereabouts in the 
distribution of resources be like. We're going to be born. We're going to be born to a poor family, to a rich family. Okay? So I think there's general agreement that, that those circumstances uh, are arbitrary. They're beyond the control of an individual. And, and arguably, we might want to compensate for those particular circumstances. But there's also genetic luck, which is the, the point that, that Paul was raising. Once again, in a sense, this, this is a, a, natural, a natural lottery. Um, if you inherit various abilities or talents from your, your parents, the literature is, is more guarded on this. Uh, there are some people, such as Robert Nozick, who's a kind of a reasonably well-known political philosopher who would be regarded as kind of being to the, to the right, uh, who believes that people shouldn't be penalized for their natural talents, and therefore that you, you shouldn't be compensating people for differences in natural ability. There are other writers who believe that, well, once again, it's arbitrary as to whose genes you inherit, so that it is a circumstance which, which you should be compensated for. Um, I suppose if you were to ask me where I stood on that debate, I would, well, I never thought I'd ever, I never thought I'd hear myself say I kind of agreed with Robert Nozick on something. But I had partial agreement with him. So I think you could probably make a case for partial compensation with respect to, to genetics. But really, in that area, it's, it's kind of a bit of a value judgment. And uh, then there are other types of lucks which, luck, which the literature distinguishes between. There's what they call brute luck, which would just be kind of bad luck. You're, a meteorite hits your house or something like that. There's option luck, where people, if you like, deliberately take on risk. So you pile all your savings into Irish property in December 2006. And is that something you should or should not be compensated for? What we're really looking at here is I'm defining a set of circumstances. Okay. Uh, for reasons I'll explain in a minute, I'm limiting this set of circumstances. And these are the circumstances which I'm using uh, as my circumstance variable. Because I've got nine-year-old children, this is an answer to Chris's question, I'm kind of sidestepping the effort issue, okay? And the, the Romer, who's one of the main people in this literature, uh, takes the position that for anybody under the age of about 16, under the age of majority, it's not reasonable to, to talk about effort. I don't know. You could certainly think about 14 and 15-year-olds where effort, where people might consciously exert effort, particularly in the area of education, in the area of li lifestyle choices, if we were looking at inequality of opportunity and health. But I think it's probably plausible enough to say that with nine-year-olds, um, we, we, we can kind of put, put effort to one side. Plus, it makes life a lot easier, actually, when you're doing the analysis. Um, so what we're looking at, then, is the role of these defined circumstances, and then the residual inequality, as Chris said, it was 10 to 15%. The rest of inequality is going to be basically assigned to unobserved circumstances, circumstances that we either can't measure uh, or that we don't adequately measure. It could be assigned to differential levels of effort if you believe that that's, that's relevant for, for nine-year-olds, and it could also be assigned to, to brute luck. So if you like, it's a kind of a residual, okay? I guess the idea behind this approach is that we can divide inequality into fair and unfair inequality, or the, the, the phrase which is sometimes used is ethically defensible and ethically indefensible inequality. So inequality which arises owing to differential levels of effort could be regarded as ethically defensible, but inequality which arises because somebody happened to be born with a silver spoon in their mouth, if you like, is ethically, more ethically indefensible. In terms of the, the references in this area, I suppose one of the original references was from the philosopher Ronald Dworkin, who, who died earlier this year, back in the early 1980s, in a couple of papers that he wrote uh, entitled Inequality of What. And then, I suppose, the, the, what sparked the interest amongst economists in trying to measure this was, was work done by John Romer, uh, some books and articles he published in the late 90s, early 2000s. And inequality, this approach to measuring inequality of opportunity has been applied to income. Uh, it's also been applied to the area of health. So this work by Andrew Jones and uh, Predo Rosas Diaz uh, in an editorial in the journal Health Economics, they, they, the editorial is titled Giving Inequality of Opportunity a Fair Innings. And then Pedro has done some work in that area. There's a nice survey paper by Dirk van de Gaar who used working in my Maynooth um, in the last couple of years. And then probably the paper which is closest to what I'm doing uh, is a paper by Ferreira and Guinu uh, who look at inequality of opportunity in education. So this, this approach has been applied to a variety of areas, so I'm looking at it in the context of education. Okay. So measuring inequality of opportunity. So what we're looking for is circumstances which are beyond the control of the individual. And on the basis of these circumstances, we can construct different types, okay? So these types are 
mutually exclusive and they're mutually exhaustive in the sense that you can only be a member of one type and everybody is a member of one type or other. Okay, so we, everybody is assigned to one type or other. Now the distinction between circumstances and effort is not always clear, okay, because there are factors and one could certainly make a very plausible case that one's effort might well be affected by one's circumstances. So whether you work hard at school might well be affected by the family into which you were born in terms of the example and the encouragement that you got from your, your parents. Um, as I said, we're sidestepping the effort issue here, but, but you should be aware if you ever read into this literature that this distinction between the two is, is a big area of contention. There are trade-offs in terms of the number of types that we would construct. Okay? What we want is a type which we think re would reasonably have an effect on the outcome that we're looking at. Okay? But the trade-off is that, well, one, our data might not give us all the information that we'd like it to give. And secondly, if we construct too many types, okay, then the cell sizes for each type might become very small. Okay, in some cases, the cell, the cell size might even be, might even be zero. Okay, so you're losing precision as you construct a large number of types. So most work in this area, my experience is that the number of types would, would, would generally be more than five, but would, would never exceed 20. So in some sense, that can be determined by the, the sample size that you have. The bigger the sample size you have, the, the less the precision issue will arise. So you, you, could, you could make more types. I'm looking at 16 types in the particular application that I'm looking at. So the, the particular approach that I'm taking is what's known as the ex-ante measurement of inequality of opportunity. So we construct a counterfactual distribution where we've removed inequalities which arise due to effort or luck, and we're only looking at inequalities which arise due to differential circumstances. Okay? So to do that, we've got to find a way of evaluating the opportunity set uh, for each individual. Okay, and inequality opportunity then will be when the opportunity set is the same for all types. So equality of opportunity is when the opportunity set is the same for, for, for everybody, regardless of the circumstances that they have. And then if we, if we observe that this doesn't happen, then that's what we would call inequality of, of opportunity. Okay? Yes, and that's the, that's the parametric approach, which I'm going to come on to later on. That's, that's correct, yeah. So the, the, to anticipate that, that point, using regression solves the problem in terms of the cell size issue, and that you can just bung in lots. The difficulty is you're imposing then a parametric form. So the, but, but as it turns out, the results are actually very similar regardless of which approach we take. Okay, so let's index the types by K, and the opportunity set that we use for each type is the average value of the outcome for that type, which we call mu K. And some of the work, what they've done is they've modified the measure by the, the Gini coefficient within that type. So it's mu k into 1 minus, minus gk. But I'm just looking at the, the simple case where the, the opportunity set is defined by the average value for that type. Okay? So then the, the measure of inequality of opportunity is inequality for the smooth distribution where each observation is replaced, the outcome for each observation is replaced by the average for its type, okay, divided by the total index of inequality. So essentially what the inequality of opportunity measure is, is it's the ratio of between type inequality to total inequality. Okay? So it's actually not a, it's not a particularly high-tech type of, of measure. So it's, it's a very simple measure, which, which most people who've worked in, in the inequality area would probably have, have calculated at, at one stage or another. Kind of going back to the point that, that Paul raised, and I'm going to come on to it again, an alternative approach can be regression-based. Um, and in that instance, the, the, the measure of inequality is the R-squared, because the R-squared is the variance in the uh, dependent variable that's accounted for by variance in the independent variables. And we know that if we keep adding variables to the right-hand side, the R-squared will, will go up. And by the same token, if we keep increasing the number of types, inequality of opportunity will, will inevitably increase. It can't fall, okay? Because the, the, the between-group inequality must, must not fall. It must at the very least, it will, it, will, it, will, it will stay constant, and in almost certainly it will, it will rise. In the limit, if you like, we, we could regard everybody as a unique type, right? That would be the limit. Everybody is their own type, in which case then all inequality arises from inequality of opportunity. But 
but that's a limit which I think probably isn't really very helpful in trying to, to understand the issue. So we've got a discrete, discrete number of types. Another approach which I'm not going to uh, take, but which uh, John Romer has, has undertaken, is called the, um, the ex-post uh, approach to measuring. And what we do then is you identify, instead of types, we identify tranches of effort across types. So we could identify percentiles of effort. Now you might say, well, how do we observe efforts? Well, what's known as the Romer identification assumption assumes that, well, if there's a monotonic relationship between outcome and, e and effort, then percentiles of outcome can be regarded as percentiles of effort. And then we can compare outcomes across circumstances for the same tranche, since these are regarded as people who've applied the same level of effort. And if there's equality of opportunity, then applying the same effort should get you the same outcome. Circumstance shouldn't matter. Okay? Does that mean that the output effort function is the same for everybody? Because my output It goes back to the idea of, of I think, of defensible and indefensible, uh, I don't know if you were here for that, the ethically defensible and ethically yeah. indefensible <laughs> measures of inequality. Um, if you're, you're going to back out sometimes effort from outcome, I just wonder if the functions are different, even if they're all monotonic, they're different. Mm. Yeah, in terms of compensation, if you were to get compensation, then somebody who is exerting the same effort Okay, so the idea would be, if effort was different, it could be because of circumstances. Maybe my effort doesn't get me as much reward because you've got a more advantageous background or because genetically you've inherited more brains or, or whatever. So I think you are assuming the same relationship between effort, the, the production function is assumed to be the same. As I say, I'm kind of sidestepping the effort issue. I'm just looking at it from the, the ex-ante approach. Average for if, if every if there was no advantage accruing to type, then the average for type should be the same. Okay, so there'll be no between group inequality. There will still be within group inequality because within a given type, people may apply differential levels of effort or may have different levels of luck. Okay, so there's two ways of, of approaching this. Uh, there's the non-parametric and the parametric approach. So for non-parametric estimation, what we would like is an inequality measure which will exactly decompose into the, the between-group and within-group components. Now, the, the generalized entropy family of measures uh, have this property, and the particular reason I chose GE2 was because the, the way in which the, the, the growing up in Ireland data is presented is there are negative values and the GE0, the mean log deviation, can't deal with that. So that's why I use GE2, as it can cope with negative uh, values. So the, the GE2, it's the, the half of the squared coefficient of variation. Okay? So, so sorry. So what we would do is we would measure this, and then there are standard packages where you can decompose that into its within group and its between group. And then the between group, the between group share of the total is your measure of inequality of opportunity, okay? Now, there's another way of, of approaching this, which is the parametric approach. Suppose we ran a, a regression of the outcome on a vector of circumstances, and suppose we obtained the, the fitted value of the outcomes, which would be C prime beta hat, where beta hat is the, the, the vector of coefficients, okay? We can then look at the ratio between that fitted value and the inequality for the, the raw value, for the, the, the original measure of outcome, and that will once again give us a measure of inequality of opportunity. But here, we're just looking at the fitted value. If it's a linear relationship between outcomes and circumstances, then 
it'll be the same as the previous. If the, the true relationship between output and circumstances is linear, then because of the property of the ordinary least squares regression, whereby the, the fit is exact at the mean, um, the two approaches will be the same. Okay? Now, one of the advantages of this approach, which Paul has kind of alluded to, is that it permits the use of a wider range of circumstance variables. Okay? But it imposes the, the, the parametric form. And then the final approach, which is another parametric approach, but instead of using the, the uh, GE2 measure, we can use the variance. The advantage of this is it's very simple to obtain the variance. It's just going to be the, uh, the R squared from the ONS regression. It's the variance of the fitted value divided by the variance of the, uh, the raw value, and it permits more circumstances. Um, no clustering of standard. I'll talk about that later on. I don't have that in terms of the regression that I carry out. So important thing to remember is these are going to be lower bounds, okay, because there will clearly be unobserved circumstances. There will be factors we can't account for in the area of luck. There's also going to be unobserved effort. Okay, so it's, it's important to, 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 to bear that in mind. Okay, just to briefly run through some previous findings, um, the figure, the, the, the study which was probably closest to the one that I'm doing is the Ferreira and Gignu uh, piece. They looked at PISA scores, so many of you will be familiar with the PISA scores, um, which are taken I think, by 14 and 15 year olds in, in math, science and reading. And they, the measure they use is the R squared. They use 10 right-hand side variables. This was for uh, uh, over 50 countries. And these are the range of results that they get uh, for reading ranging from about 13% to 39%, for maths from about 10 to 35, for Scandinavia from about 11 to, sorry, and then for sciences from 11 to about 38. Uh, there isn't a clear regional pattern, but, but the, the results seem to be less in equality of opportunity in Scandinavia, Japan, and Korea. Uh, the figures for Ireland, they give figures of about 26% for reading, about 23.5% for maths. 24% for science. Um, there's also, they've applied that methodology to Latin American countries in PISA, and they get a similar enough range of outcomes. And then there's also so a later piece by Gamboa and Waltenberg, uh, who use a smaller set of circumstances and came up with a lower range of, of outcomes. But you can see that the, the range of figures is generally kind of the lower bound is about 0.1 with an upper bound of about 0.3 or slightly higher than now this is for PISA, okay, so it's a very particular type of outcome, because bear in mind the PISA scores are, there's a number of transformations which are applied to PISA scores from the raw data in terms of the actual numbers that, that people are working with. And there's a, there's a bit of a controversy, I suppose, in the literature as to uh, people like John Micklewright uh, have, have cautioned very strongly against looking at distributional measures for these PISA outcomes, or being very careful in terms of the actual transformations which are applied to the original piece of data if you're, if you're looking at um, summary measures of the distribution of these scores. And that kind of has relevance for, for what we're looking at later on, but, uh, which I will come back to. I suppose kind of off the top of my head, I suppose, if you think about, mostly circumstances will be to do with, uh, if you look at the list of circumstances, they nearly all include some kind of home circumstance, right? Something to do with the education of the parent or the occupation of the parent. And I guess the argument might be, and it will be borne out in some of the figures that I have later on, is that it might be easier to provide support in some areas than others. Maybe the, the there's people here who know more about this than me, that the cognition for different... Um, just one other paper. There's probably more out there that I'm that I'm not aware of. But another paper that I came across looked at the the TIMS data. I forget what TIMS stands for. What does TIMS stand for? Target 
something like that, yeah, okay. <laughs> so what, and this is going back now just to what Chris has said, uh, so they use as the, the, the circumstance measure, because they, they're looking at international comparisons across 54 countries, they're worried about comparing education levels across countries. So they use as their measure of home circumstance, what Chris said there, the number of, of books in the house, in the sense that that at least is countable and arguably it can be measured more easily if compared across countries. So they look at the regression coefficient of books as the index of the inequality of opportunity. Uh, and these are the, the numbers that they come up with. Um, high values in England, Taiwan, Scotland, Ireland, the top quartile. Um, my own view is that that particular metric, just this thing with coefficient, is, is, is more difficult to interpret than the metrics that we're going to look at, which is kind of a percentage. But it, it, it does reinforce Chris's point about uh, the number of books as being an important uh, proxy, if you like, for for the circumstantial advantage that some kids might have. Okay, so the data that we use. So the data comes from the nine-year-old cohort of growing up in Ireland, um, wave one. So we start off with 8,568 children. And the circumstance that I'm using, which you probably have guessed by now, is parents' education. Okay. Now, using the education level of both parents, um, does have implications for the sample that I use. It does restrict the sample because what it means is I won't be using single parents because single parents there's only four different, I, I break down education to four levels. If you've got a single parent then there's only four different levels of education. Okay, so there's only four circumstances for one group and I need the same number of circumstances for, for each group. Um, I also restricted where the biological parents are the, 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 the two parents that are interviewed with respect to the study child. And that once again restricts the sample. The reason I did that was that I was interested in the, the influence, if you like, of parental education on the, the child. And where we didn't have the biological parents, you wouldn't be sure how long the child was exposed to that influence of the, of the, the other, whether it's a stepfather or another partner. So it just seemed easier to restrict it to, to, to biological parents. There is a disadvantage of doing that, particularly in losing single parents, because you, you, you might expect that this would be a group where you could see disadvantage. So in interpret the, the results conditional on that. Yes, Chris? In the case of Kinkadley, you've got four parents in education. Yeah, so it's four by four. Yeah, okay. So there's about seven or eight different levels of, of education given growing up in Ireland. Um, so this is my own typology, if you like. Uh, left school at or before 16, completed secondary schooling, diploma cert and university degree. I don't distinguish between primary and postgraduate degree. Um, so that leaves us with a sample of 6,641 children and they're roughly equally split between uh, boys and girls. Now, the outcome variable which is used are the, the maths and the reading scores on what's known as the Drumcondra test. So, the Drumcondra test, the name arises from, I think, I guess from St. Pat's College, which is located in Drumcondra, which is a, a major college of education in the country. So, as children go through the primary school system, they, they take these, these tests in, uh, in maths and reading. And every time you have a parent-teacher's meeting, you're told what the scores that your children got were on the Drumcondra test, and usually told it in terms of a percentile. Um, for the growing up in Ireland test, all of the children in the, the, the nine-year-old cohort were given Drumcondra-type maths and science tests. Now, the children in the growing up in Ireland survey, they were age nine, so at the age of nine, there's, you're going to be in either second class, third class, or fourth class, just depending upon what age you were, where you were born in the, in the year, and what age your, your parents sent you out to school, if you like, or you may have been held back for a year, or whatever, okay? The majority of kids are going to be in the third class, but because you're dealing with kids who have had different levels of education, they have to standardise the, the measure, okay? And they're, standard, they're standardised using what's known as item response theory. So item response theory is a way of translating, if you like, from raw answers to a question into some underlying latent measure of ability, okay? And the particular type that's used is a, a two-parameter logit transformation, which I'll, which I'll show you in a minute. What you end up with is a range of these scores which goes from about minus three up to about plus three, okay? So you have negative values, and that's the reason why I use the, 
the particular inequality measures that I used. Now, I kind of agonized over this for, for a while as to whether it was appropriate to use standard inequality analysis, like a generalized entry measure, on a measure, I was trying to work out, is, is, the, the, the ver is what you get from an item response theory, could you regard it as a cardinal measure or not? Okay? Because in general, if you're applying standard inequality indices, you want your data to be cardinal. You want the gaps to actually to mean something. Okay? Otherwise, there are other types of indices for ordinal data, but, but they're, they're quite different. Um, so here's my conclusion. Maybe, maybe not. Okay? <laughs> I'm now, I'm now more on the maybe side. I kind of wake up in the middle of the night and think, well, yeah, maybe this. But remember, what we're looking at here is the share of inequality, okay, which can be assigned to circumstances. So even if the overall measure was perhaps sensitive to the transformations, and some of the Michelwright data suggests, Michelwright work suggests that, the share attributable to circumstances may be more robust. And then I kind of came up with another kind of example. So I've done some work on obesity. Okay, and as of lots of others. And the standard obesity measure is, 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 is BMI, body, uh, body mass index. Now, BMI is a nonlinear transformation of height and weight. Height and weight. It's your weight in kilos over your, your height squared. Okay? In a sense, it's, 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 it's transformed data, but we interpret it as a cardinal data, as a, as a cardinal measure. We're happy enough to use it as a cardinal measure. So it seems to me that using the, the, the outcomes or outputs from item response theory, is, it's probably legitimate as well. Just to show you how, what, what you actually come up with. Okay, this is the, the, the version that they use in from Condor. So, children are given a set of questions to answer, okay? And the, the probability of answering the question is gonna depend upon the, the underlying latent ability, which you're essentially trying to measure, which is theta j. It's going to depend upon the Difficulty of the question, which is bi, and it'll also depend upon the degree to which the question can discriminate, degree to which the answer to the question will, 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 will vary with respect to underlying ability. That's known as kind of the discrimination parameter. In some versions of it, you don't have a, a value of ai. The ai is, is just set is equal to, to, uh, to 1. In other versions, you also allow for an extra parameter if, say, it was a multiple choice question, because then even somebody with no ability would have a chance of getting 25% if it's a four-question multiple choice. So given the values of AI and BI and the responses to the questions, you can then back out the underlying measure of latent ability uh, by maximum likelihood. And that's how they obtain, that's the, the, the numbers which they obtain and which is provided in the growing up in Ireland data. So that's the measure that I'm looking at. Okay, it's not what you, how you did in an exam. It's not how many points you got in your leaving cert. It's not what level of education you got to. It's the underlying latent ability which was calculated via this transformation from the answers you gave to the Trochondra test. Okay, so that's, I think, important to bear in mind when you're, when you're looking at the results. Okay? Um, I'll skip through those. Okay, just take a look at some summary stats now. Although luck can also play, play a role in outcomes. You know, you go for an interview and you're, you're knackered that day or you're sick. Or if you take an exam, an important exam, and you're sick that day. Well, true. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, my, my understanding, I'm not, others might know more about the actual nitty-gritty of the taking of these tests, but I presume yeah, the kids just took it once. I'm probably, these slides, have, I'm at the boundaries of my knowledge about this item response theory. I probably sound as if I know more about it. Chris probably knows more about it a lot more than I do. On your, on your issue of variation, you said that the two parameters are not, not Yeah. Their argument is 
so, and, and that corresponds to the difficulty level of amalgam here, okay? But the second parameter of volume of fluids was that that's a general variance for proper individuals and groups. So an item didn't have the same meaning for every individual. And that's where that's where the second parameter is kicking in. So I'm I'm not sure exactly what consequences it has for the variation, but if, if there's a problem, it's probably there for the initial that's where the problem is. I don't I don't think I think they're assuming that it's the same difficulty. Oh, well, well, they may they may have a difficulty. I don't know, Chris. Sorry, I'm like I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Sure. I, 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 well, well, okay. Like I was, I was informed that they used the the, 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 the two parameter logit, and you know, if you, if you check the literature, the two parameter logit, the second parameter always refers to this this discrimin this a parameter, the discrimination. So the, it's essentially it's the slope. Okay, so they, these are the, the probability of getting it right, and here's the measure from minus three up to about plus three. And the slope clearly gives you greater sensitivity of the probability to, 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 to your underlying ability. So uh, you know, like, a, like what day of the week it is, has got no discrimination ability. Yeah. Right? But if I ask you, you know, what's the capital of Burma or something like that, that might have, I don't know. It's not called Burma anymore, I think. You can ask from Cambridge, do they know about the test you take? Yeah. That's just like, yeah. a lot of tests, that's like an entry test. Um, some summary stats, sorry. Summary stats. These are the, the numbers on education, education background of the parents for the, the subsample that we have. Okay, so uh, more males who have got the lower levels of education. As Chris Jepson has pointed out, quite a high fraction in this category in between completing believing cert and taking a university degree. Often the forgotten bunch. Um, this gives the population proportions by type, and I've adjusted for sampling weights. Uh, so what you see is, for the most part, the, the, the bigger entries on the main diagonal, kind of reflecting a sort of an assortative mating, that kind of lower educated dads partner off with lower educated mums, etc. That gives an idea of the population proportions by type. These are the summary logit scores by gender and the standard deviations in the background. So you can see that the averages are, are negative for maths, so the maths scores tend to be lower. They also tend to be higher for males than for females, so this has been looked at by, by Aidan Garris and Donald O'Neill and Alex Sweetman in the news. They're relating this to whether you went to single-sex school or not. Um, the reading scores tend to be higher and the females seem to have a bit of advantage there, although these are just point averages. Uh, these are the pictures, the kernel densities. So this is maths. These are boys. So you can see that it's like slightly higher weighted on the right-hand side, although girls have got a lower spread. These are the pictures, pictures for reading. Um, bum, 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 bum. So this is this, these are girls, these are girls, I think. And these are the scores by type. Okay. Now, what you want to look at here is, as you go either eastwards or southwards, the education of one of your parents is, has moved up a grade, right? So what we would expect is that the score should increase as you move both east and south, and that's pretty much what you observe. The two extremes then are the northwest and the southeast, where you've got two university parents and you've got two primary, lower, secondary parents. And you can see the difference there is, is about one. Like given that the standard deviation, so it's greater than a standard deviation of a difference. So the, the gradient, if you like, by, by, by social class or by the background of the parents is, is apparent. This is, with, this is with maths, and you get pretty much the same with, uh, with the reading scores as well. Now what I should really do, uh, and if, you know, in, in other later versions of this paper, what, what you tend to see in the literature is that they, you can draw up the, the cumulative distributions of these for each education group and then you can look for orders of stochastic dominance and the presence of stochastic dominance is a sufficient condition 
but the presence of inequality or opportunity. So at the moment, I've just got kind of summary uh, cross tabs that you can that you can look at. David, there's a question here. If, if you took these two variables and just simply put them into an OLS as a set of zombies for each variable, okay? You know, two zombies. Plus all the two zombies, and you just do an average model. What you've got here is assuming a more complex pattern of injection. Okay? It's, it's assuming that the combination actually matters rather than the added components, okay? What? Well, I'm not, I'm not really assuming it, Chris, but I understand what you mean, yeah. That, that in terms of looking at this, yeah, because you're, you're changing, you're kind of, you're, you're kind of, interactions are built into to this. Why would you create the, the 16 categories unless you believe that they will affect the analysis and that it will be affected by regression? So you say that in a regression model you should include interaction terms? Well, if you, if you could test, you could, you could do the straightforward linear one and then you could fill in all those interactions and you could see where they add them. My suspicion is that it won't add combination of non-nonsies and you know that could be secondary, you know, is different from you know mom could be secondary. You know, it, it's a very it would be a very subtle set of effects that would I'm not saying there's no interaction, but it would be a very subtle subtle set of effects that would basically, you know, produce make all of these interactions significant, you know. So I, I just wondered, you know. I, I I mean that's what I think is implicit in including these categories. Well, I, so what would you do then otherwise? Would you would you restrict the number of them, or would you I only have two brackets of dad's education and four of mum's if you are just fiddle around? Lot of things you do is you start with the simplest models and you know and then you go to the just adding you extra. Go to the to the yeah, okay. Model, and somewhere in between is the model that fits best, and that's the one you that's the one you work with. Now my suspicion is that the simple average model might actually lose. You know that you know because. The other hypotheses are that it really doesn't matter how it, it, look, it, it doesn't. It looks like it will be rejected. If you look at the bottom left corner, what is mum going from non-degrees to degrees in the first two columns? I think so. There's 0.3 effect in the first column, and there's a less than 0.1 effect in the second column. No, there's a point. No, there's a 0.3 effect in the third column. You, you can test it. Okay, so here's the, I suppose, the number, the main numbers that we, we're interested in. Um, this is looking at the ratio of between group inequality to total inequality, okay? So you've got total for maths, 10%, for reading, about 12%. That is fairly consistent with the pattern that you see in other countries. There tends to be higher inequality of opportunity for reading than for maths, although that's not uniform, but on balance, that's what you find. You tend to find and there are higher numbers for girls than for boys. Okay, but it's in the kind of the 10 to 13 range. Okay. This is when you do the regression and then you do the parameter, use the G2 index, and once again you're getting the same pattern, about 10%. But remember, you would expect to get exactly the same result if the true relationship was linear. So it's suggesting that the linear relationship probably close enough. Sorry, this is a really bad slide, I know. <laughs> what I want you to look at, if you can see, if I'm at the back, you can't. These are the R squares along here, right? So this is just the regression where I've done no interactions. This is just the, the three dummies and the three dummies, okay? Um, and you're getting R squares, once again, ranging from 0 0.9, 0 0.098 for maths, Very similar to the results that we just had a, a few minutes ago. Well, they're all more or less the same age, kind of, because they said a nine-year-old. Um, I don't. Can I remember? Do you? Do, 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 they, they will vary. Oh, they are. They're in second, third, and fourth. They're mostly in third, about 85%, 90% are in third, but some are in second. But the item response theory is meant to take account of that. 
it's meant to adjust for that. Item response. Um, once again, Paul, I'm, I, I don't know how they actually apply those transformations. Um, birth order could be an issue, but that would be another another type, do you know, and we... Difficulty, well, with this approach, well, not, not with this one, with this approach, actually, you could bung in a, a detailed age data if you want to. On the first approach, it would mean creating a whole new set of types, so you'd run into the, the, the cell issue. Um, in general, if, if, if you're mostly interested in the lower bound, why don't you just do a distance regression and show that everything is... I'm, I'm glad you asked me that question, because that's <laughs> two slides from now. Um, okay. Uh, so just, these are, I'm calling it robustness, it's probably too robust a word to use. Um, I also tried to, to, I don't think this was actually quite kosher, uh, to apply an inverse load to the scores, to get back to the raw scores and then use the, the GE0 quality results very similar. Then what Paul says, additional circumstances using what we could call a kitchen sink, okay? Uh, so this was what it went into. The, this is what went into the kitchen sink: the mother's age, parental health, including their mental health, uh, income, lifestyle, local living conditions, ethnicity, um, some school-based information such as class size. Now there was one set of variables which I didn't include. There's a lot of information about learning difficulties and stuff like that in growing up in Ireland, but I didn't include it on the right-hand side because it seemed to me that it would be. Well, learning difficulties, it's, it's just, they're, 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 in a sense, you're measuring the same thing, so you're including pretty much the same thing on the right-hand side as on the left-hand side. Yeah, I think you probably do have data that you don't, you certainly have them in the younger one, but it should be somewhere around there as well, which is birth weight, birth age, all this sort of thing. Did I include those? I'm not, I can't be um, I've got, I, did, I couldn't fit this up on the board. Um, Can anybody remember what the code for uh, for birth weight is in GUI? Um, but it, I'd, be, I'd be astonished if it's not there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's just that if you're looking for variables over which the kids have no control. Sure. I'm sure. There, there, think, yeah. Yeah. Um, the kitchen sink regression for maths R squared only goes up from point oh. Now, okay, you lose sample size because you because you don't have you, the complete case sample is smaller, obviously. Okay. So you're down to only 5,000. Uh, the math score goes up from 0.98 to 0.119. Not much of a change. The reading score increases quite a bit. And this is when we kick in the number of kids' books in the house. Okay, it, it, it adds about, where is it now? Get the actual copy of that. MMJ25. Yeah, it adds about 0.12 to the to the score. Okay, that the. Um, when you're putting in kids' books, in a normal circumstances, would you raise a red flag because it's indulgent? The kid can't read that needs to read what's on the bottom of the book. Is the reality that children are reading kids' books once they're out? There's no What to include on the right-hand side of a kitchen sink? There's always going to be marginal variables. But this was just really... <laughs> this is really going back to what kind of the point Paul was saying. Well, what would happen if you bunged it all in? What would you get? One way to think about that, Paul. Why, why did they? You know, if you were to, to, like, I think you could plausibly say that effort could could depend upon circumstance. So this is just a reduced form. So if effort is a function of circumstances, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's what you're doing. You're, you're assuming away effort as being an issue here. Um, well, with the nine-year-olds, yeah. Problem.
Yeah, yeah. Um, like I guess that, it, that that you well the other you could certainly apply that then to, to most other work in this in this field because that's pretty much what what is what they're looking at is um, is looking at kind of regressions like this. Yeah, and like the you're right about in a sense that's why I said this was I wanted to get ideas of where this could this could move on. You know, um, I'm checking on Jay's my time. Uh, I forget about this. This is important. Uh, um, <coughs> just in terms of, of the conclusion and further research. So future waves of growing up in Ireland, presuming that the, the, the nine-year-olds will be examined again, I would presume that there's some some ability measure will be will be examined again in the future, whether it's a Drumcondra score or whatever. Okay, but you could still look at how that changes over time. Like one, of the, one way of characterizing the question that you that she raised there, Chris, is that in a sense, you're estimating something at one point in time. You need an anchor yeah, to look at it over time. Well, the work that's been done in Well, that's if you look at kind of a policy. How do you reproduce what happens in the home, or how do you compensate for where you think that there are suboptimal processes going on in the home? Preschool is one possibility, but like you say, there are also kind of civil liberties issues down which you intervene. Libraries, it seems to me, was something that possible policy lever. But I, I, yeah, I didn't have any magic bullets that I could think of. Um, so just in terms of where the paper might go, like I presume there's another wave of the nine-year-olds coming out pretty soon. The second wave of the infants is out, isn't it? Yeah, the thirteen-year-old baby again. Yeah, should be soon. So that's something which could be looked at. Uh, before you came in, Kevin, I was mentioning your work on on leaving certain points. So it might be nice to take a look at this with respect to leaving certain points as well. 
because uh, he would have observations over time with the school leaver survey. Um, oh, we have grades for college students. Yeah. Um, the last point was just. I was gonna. If I had time, okay, I just want to throw it in as another way to uh, instead of using leaving cert points to uh, to allocate places in universities. So what we do is we, uh, we 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 break up everybody into into circumstances, and if you get it into the same decile for your circumstance that you get the same number of points, so you're compensated for people lower background. But I think the middle class mammies might not like that. Th that's it. Okay. <laughs>